everyone. Welcome to the next page, our podcast here at the UN Geneva Library and Archives. My name is Natalie, and I'm very excited because today we welcome a new colleague to our team. Her name is Karen Lee. Hi, Karen. Welcome. Hi, I'm so happy to be here. We're really glad that you're a part of our team now. We're not yet in person at the library because of COVID-19, of course, but we're connecting online. So Karen, tell us a little bit more about yourself. What do you like about podcasting? Yeah, so like Natalie mentioned, my name is Karen. I'm from Toronto, and I'm also a recent graduate of Ryerson University, where I studied in a program called Creative Industries, where we learned about media and business. And so I love making content, whether it's writing or podcasting or filming short videos. And so I'm all the more excited to be on the Next Page team. As for podcasting specifically, I've always loved how diverse and varied the topics are in the podcast world. And I believe that there really is something for everyone and it's just a great way to learn something new. Yeah, that's definitely what we try to do with the next page, have conversations with different types of people and and look at different subjects, particularly as they relate to multilateralism. But what do you think it's important to remember as, as conversation hosts? Yeah, I think as conversation hosts, it's really important to always set a comfortable and natural tone for the guest allowing them to share and discuss with that reservation. And I also think it's very important to always listen very actively and intentionally as a host. Great. Well, we're so happy to have you with us. We've got a new series called Knowledge Rising, which is dedicated to speaking with young activists and knowledge makers and change makers who are working on global issues. And actually, Karen has recently finished a conversation with an amazing young activist who's called Kartik Soni. He's also one of the UN Young Leaders for the Sustainable Development Goals. Could you tell us a little bit more about this conversation, Karen? Yeah, it was such a pleasure speaking with Kartik. And having previously worked myself with a team to organize and launch a disability arts symposium in the past, and also having taken ASL classes throughout university, I've always had an interest in accessibility. And so it was so enlightening to hear about the different intersections of accessibility, education, and entrepreneurship that Caltech shared. Amazing. So what did you learn from this conversation? Is there anything you'd like to share that we should look out for? I think I realized once again just how much learning I need to constantly challenge myself to do. There is still so much I am unaware of, but I think it's content like the next page that serves as such valuable tools to encourage me to continue learning. We really have this space to be able to keep learning together, which is fantastic. So we really hope that you enjoyed this conversation. I also learned a lot having already listened to this conversation. Thank you, Karen, for taking the time to do it. And let's go. Let's take a listen. Thank you so much for joining us, Kartik, on this episode of The Next Page for our Knowledge Rising series. It is a pleasure to have you with us, and I'm so excited to hear more about your work and your experience as a young activist for disability rights and accessible education and entrepreneurship. But before we begin... Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm so glad that we can have you even during these very uncertain times. Um, but before we begin, could you please tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, sure. So my name is Karthik, as you said. Um, I am the co-founder at iSTEM, which is an org 
uh, where we do uh, where we leverage technology, community, and support services uh, to provide equal access and equal opportunities for people with disabilities around the world. Uh, right now, we've focused in India and North America, um, and we provide such services as alternate format conversion and um, uh, you know real-time captioning for those who are deaf or hard of hearing. Basically, trying to make sure that these uh, that students and professionals have the services that they need to be uh, to help them be successful in whatever they want to do. Uh, besides that, I'm also a software engineer slash AI scientist at Microsoft, um, and I work on the Cortana team, which is Microsoft's personal assistant, um, and super passionate about accessibility there as well. I've been involved in a bunch of programs. Um, I've been blind since birth, um, so you know this is uh, all kind of a personal first-hand experience for me, which is how I got involved in the disability sector. Um, and so, you know, I think it's been about about a decade that I've uh, been working in the disability sector uh, in various capacities. You know, I've uh, uh, you know done things like you know. Uh, launching a mentorship program for students with disabilities interested in technology to uh, advocating for um, equal access to um, to for example uh, making sure how we can make the the metro railway in Delhi accessible um, to making sure that students can get to use computers and national public exams in India where I grew up and spent most of my life um, to advocating for myself and other blind students to pursue sciences uh, in high school, which was otherwise not possible. So a lot of advocacy, um, super excited about technology and accessibility and the intersection of the two and what that can lead to. Um, so yeah, in a nutshell, that's, that's who I am and what I do. That's amazing. I feel like you have accomplished so much um, within just the past couple of years alone. Uh, just, just doing my bit and trying to you know, <laughs> prove access. <laughs> to, yes, to that's awesome. Yeah. yeah, so you you speak about, I, I feel like you've done, you know, so much and um, also reached and touched very, various different sections and intersections um, in this area of accessibility and technology and education. Um, but I wanted to ask, um, you know, with all of your efforts and your works in these various sectors, how do you measure your impact? And what does, in your in your own opinion, impact look like and mean? Yeah, that's a very good question. And actually, I have a, I have a very different uh, definition of impact uh, as opposed to like a lot of the typical ways in which, for example, nonprofits or social impact organizations uh, measure their impact. Yeah, I mean, one of the things obviously is to, to try and see um, how many people are being impacted positively. Um, where you know the number of students who are able to take these unconventional fields that they were they're excited about that they otherwise don't have the permission for, uh, and kind of supporting them through this. So, for example, one of the first projects that I launched when I went to college um, is is called Project STEM Access, where the whole idea was to try and mentor uh, students who wanted to pursue sciences and see how you know we can encourage them and support them, mentor them, provide them the resources to help them do so in a country like India, which otherwise does not have like as many resources to support that kind of learning. Um, and so the impact there, for example, was, you know, of course, you know, how many were able to reach, for example, but even more important than the numbers, for me, the way I like to measure uh, impact um, is the quality. You know, yeah. what impact have I had on one person? Um, have I been able to convince them that, you know, if you're interested in science and yes, there are these 10 hurdles or challenges that you will face, but, you know, we as an organization or I as an individual, we are here to help you. 
uh, and whether I was successful in they, for example, joining one of the most uh, sought after schools in India, like colleges in India, tech schools in India. That for me is much more important than the kind of shallow metric of like, oh, how many people did you reach out to? Mm-hmm. And so for me, the way I measure my impact every year actually is, is through stories, is through these personal experiences, is through this ch- personal change that have, I've been able to affect on an individual basis and what that change has looked like and whether, whether um, I've been able to really do justice to uh, making sure that this person has all the resources that they need to, for them to do what they want to do. Because ultimately that is what matters. Even if I'm working with one person and I was able to like get this one person to become a doctor, which is impossible in India, that for me is achievement versus talking to like, or reaching out to thousands of people and helping them like take a conventional, uh, conventional streams. Now, having said that, I don't necessarily mean that I only work um, to, um, with people who want to do unconventional things. No, certainly not. Right? This is one crucial part, and primarily coming out of my own personal experiences, wanted to take up science when no one allowed me to take science. I think it's primarily because of that that I'm passionate about trying to do that and making, making sure how we can use technology and innovation to try and open up new avenues. But that, is that, that, that does not change the fact that I'm also very much aware of, of the broader picture. You right. know? People with disabilities don't even have the most basic of rights. We can't just be talking about, oh, they wanted to become software engineers or data scientists. I'm like, they need to get entry level positions first. And I am mindful of that, which is why I kind of like to look at this in, um, in stages, right? Where, where, yeah, I mean, you know, for people who, who've not had any access um, to technology, the impact there obviously is through whether or not they have enough resources to be able to get an entry level position. Mm. That, that is important. That is where they start. They're not going to become a NASA scientist or, a, or you know, some crazy, like, um, you know, data scientist at some crazy company or anything like that. Um, <laughs> for them, it's about how, how, first of all, how do I get them to accept their disability? How do I help them understand that they are worthy of, of kind of living, even, right? That they are an important part of the society uh, that all of us can benefit from they're an important part of the economy they can they can contribute to the economy all of that is also equally important so that's kind of like you know depending on who i'm working with that's kind of like how i'd like to measure um, my impact right i think you bring up some very important points on yeah the quality of impact and not just the quantity of it and also um, going deeper into the root of actually changing people's mindsets about disability and allowing companies and also individuals to realize that this is the talent pool that we need to continuously access. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So a study conducted in 2015 found that students with disabilities do not have access to social and cultural resources that support their use of technology, ultimately leading the leading to a lack of the right kind of digital capital to enable them to succeed. So what are your thoughts on this, especially being in, you know, technology and how is the use of technology also unique to students with disabilities and how can we further technology to help, yeah, those with disabilities and how did it help you specifically in your own pursuits and studies? Sure, lots of questions there. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> All good. Um, no, I think uh, that's, again, a very interesting question. And, and, and that goes back to what I was just talking about, where mm-hmm. while on the one hand, I want to look at how technical innovation can further uh, enhance the quality of life of people with disabilities, the reality, as we should face it, is that um, just as how we talk about the conventional digital divide, 
uh, we but talk about this accessibility divide as well uh, where well one of course you know digital divide most people um, with disabilities still live in rural areas in rural areas of the world and right. they didn't have access to computers, right? And and that is a conventional problem, um, and I and, and it's it's a big problem. And there are lots of nonprofits working on the ground uh, to try and change that, which are not just disability organizations, but also just you know just just general organizations working to uh, enhance access to digital um, uh, to digital resources and technology for people in general, you know, and mm -hmm. and people with disabilities are a part of that. Now, what what we see often is um, a lot of these organizations also have these biases, thanks to the general bias that exists in the society around people with disabilities. And so when they'll go to a village and they'll basically try to, you know, provide them like internet access, because they don't know about assistive technology, because they don't know about how a blind person could use a screen reader or a deaf person could, could you know, could use um, uh, speech recognition technology and stuff like that, for example, or, or you know, uh, uh, capturing technologies and stuff like that. Uh, the challenge is that they exclude them, uh, and and so you know, even if the rest of the village, for example, is using technology, these people um, cannot use technology anymore, right? Uh, and so that is a big challenge where the lack of awareness kind of still plagues uh, this this digital divide and makes it worse for people with disabilities in particular. But there's this other part of it, which is even if you have access to technology, the web as we know it today, a lot of it is inaccessible. Uh -huh. uh, how we design our websites. And in fact, of course, I would not be naming any particular companies or websites, but some of the most popular websites you can think of are also inaccessible to some extent for different right. kinds of disabilities, yeah. which is a shame, right? Like, what are we doing? You're talking about some of the biggest companies in the world, like unicorns. They certainly have the budgets to make it accessible. Right. And some of them try as well, right? But if you don't start thinking about accessibility from the very beginning, it gets extremely hard, if not impossible, to go and make these fixes later. Mm. You know, I know so many stories where companies have all the best intentions in the world, but it's just a daunting task because this website is the culmination of like, you know, several years worth of design effort and you never thought about accessibility and now suddenly trying to like bring it in. No, it's never gonna, it's never gonna be the same if you started thinking about accessibility from the very beginning. And so that's kind of the challenge that I, I think uh, we face, right? Where it's like, you know, people either not having access to technology at all, or even if they do, uh, not everything being accessible. Now, of course, uh, you know, there are some good developments also. Not everything is, is bad, not everything is negative. Uh, a lot of companies are now taking it very, very seriously. Um, and then, of course, uh, there are organizations like mine and individuals, we, several individuals like, like myself, passionate about how to leverage technology uh, to bridge this kind of accessibility uh, that, that we see. Right, and so, um, so that's kind of like nice that a lot of people are focusing in this area now, um, and uh, we're trying to like see how um, how how we can try to bridge this divide and how we can um, truly ensure that technology helps people with disabilities the way it should, or the way it has helped me. And which brings me to the next part of your question, which is how have I used technology and how it has benefited me as a person? I think I wouldn't have been able to do anything if it were not for technology. Mm -hmm. uh, you know using a computer when I was in the second grade, um, and I've been using it since, right? And, uh, and, and screen reader is basically my access to, to any information that I get. Uh, my screen reader is my access to recreational activities or, you know, computer games, for example, or if I, I mean, how would I go and stream Netflix if I have to? I mean, it is my screen reader that, that again, helps me out. So while technology, to some extent, is like, it, it enhances quality of life for, people without disabilities, I would argue that it is a necessity for people with disabilities if they really want to uh, 
you know, uh, achieve what they want to achieve. It's not an option, right? Like, how would you access textbooks? Of course, you can you can use other resources, more conventional resources like Braille, and of course, there's there's value of that as well. It's super important. Geology is not going to be able to replace everything, but the fact that you have multiple options, the fact that you have technology to kind of like make you much more efficient. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it is almost like a necessity uh, for for people with disabilities, and so, you know, I, it, it is crucial, and it's, it's it's I think it's only fair, and so it's so important that all of us start um, start understanding that, and even developers without disabilities who might be listening to this, given how transformational technology is for people with disabilities, let's not forget the over 1.3 billion people with disabilities when you're developing. I'm a developer myself, and I can tell you, I I completely get it when you have to prioritize. But think about that number, 1.3 billion people with disabilities, one-fifth of the global population mm -hmm. that you'll be losing out if you deprioritize accessibility when you're developing. And how long it takes? Subtle changes. I promise you 30 seconds sometimes. Oh, yeah. No, for sure. I think, I, th I feel like we don't really think about um, just how many people are impacted um, by this and just how many people we often overlook because companies and individuals are not prioritizing accessibility. I think it also has to do with lack of awareness, right? Yes. I think I have the best intentions. I don't, I don't, I never complain when people say, well, I don't know, it's by, well, I've never done accessibility because I've never uh, been taught. Like no schools sure. in the computer science programs talk about accessibility, including some of the best schools out there. And so, and so I think it's important that, you know, we integrate that as part of our computer science curriculums. We teach about disability in, in informative years. Uh, right? Like, why is it that uh, people without disabilities feel uncomfortable around people with disabilities? Well, it all is because they've never been exposed to it. True. We, we, you know, we need to appreciate like other uh, diversity types, whether that's, you know, uh, race or ethnicity or, you know, other, other, other kinds of disability, you know, LGBTQI and stuff like that. Uh, it, it, disability is just like that, you know? Uh, and so I don't blame people. I think it all comes down to this lack of awareness that that we all of us need to work towards. We need to educate ourselves if we really want to live in a truly inclusive society where uh, both people with and without disabilities, they help each other out. There's so much that you can gain from some of the person with a disability. Uh -huh. you know? uh, they might use different tools, but at the end of the day, uh, they're, they're really working on the same end products. I mean, I, when I work on a team, you know, I'm also writing code to basically produce the, you know, and contribute uh, to kind of, uh, in my case, as a, an AI scientist, like, you know, creating these models that help uh, people without and with disabilities better interact with uh, personal assistance, right? And so there's you know, totally people with disabilities contribute to the world as well. And so if they contribute to the world, I think it's it's, it's important that you know we, we we realize that and we work towards really making this uh, world favorable for them as well, so that you know all of us can co-create solutions to uh, some of the major challenges that we face as a generation today, or you know as as humanity today. So we need to work together is, is what my message is. And we need to work together to create that world where we can all kind of realize our potential and work together to create the world that we, all of us want to see, irrespective of whether you are a person with or without a disability. No, very well said. I think co-creation is a very key point. And especially when you're speaking before about even the biggest companies um, having websites that are not accessible, um, it really shows that accessibility isn't at the forefront of you know, our thoughts or our priorities. And so how do you think, or how should mainstream or big corporations also try to measure and make impact for 
the future generations. Yeah, and I think when you talk about metrics for organizations, you know, the one the one big thing, uh, one of my pet peeves actually is stop thinking about accessibility as a legal compliance issue. The moment you do that, you can never innovate. You can never provide the truly inclusive experience that you hope your customers with disabilities to have. It's checklist. You know, there, we see this thing one, you know, a, a lot of times in in the, in the field in the in the community, which is there's a ton of difference between accessibility and usability. And you need to realize that. Sorry, could you actually explain to us what the difference is between accessibility yeah. and usability? Yeah, so accessibility, when you, in its most conventional sense, when, when organizations view it, they look at it as, oh, yeah, yeah, this is a standard, you know, so what we have is what's known as the Web Content Accessibility Guidelines. It has like multiple levels, you know, A, AA, AAA, which basically says, okay, well, the website is some, is, is you know, you meet like the bare minimum and then uh, you meet like an acceptable standard from a legal perspective and then you meet like a, a super high standard. You know, that's kind of typically how it categorizes it. And it's like this checklist. Okay, have you done this? Check, 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 uncheck, check, check, check. That's it. You know, that's kind of like how it works. No, it doesn't work like that. Mm. You need to have people with disabilities try your website. You can have all the accessibility in the world, but if it's going to take someone like 10 minutes to navigate a page that otherwise takes 30 seconds for someone without a disability, sure, you might have accessibility, but do you really think that's a good experience? No. And that is what usability is. See, here's the thing. Why do we get UX UI designers in the first place on a team? It's because we care about interface. It's because we care about user experience. It's about we care about, well, is it easy? Is it intuitive? Then why don't we think about those things for a person with a disability? Checking something and saying, oh, well, did I add an alt text here? Which is basically another way of saying, did I add an inscription for an image that I put? Uh, did I basically ensure that something is captioned? Yes, I mean, that, that's a starting point, but that is not the standard that the biggest corporations need to hold themselves up to. It has to be a lot higher. If you and by the way, you know, here's what I say all the time: you don't have to do this out of charity, because you, it's the right thing to do, or the goodness and the all of the other things we talk about. It. You have to do it because you know the statistic: mm. people with disabilities, their friends and allies, are worth eight trillion dollars. A market worth eight trillion dollars that you're mm. missing out on. Well, you don't like money, don't do it. If you like money. And if you want to get $8 million, $8 trillion as a company, do it. That is what you should be thinking about. Business case. I mean, that's what, that's what corporations are, understand, right? Like, I mean, that is what it is. Right. Um, I'm kind of joking about it, but I mean, you know, that's another way of looking at it. And that's how you justify your return on investment. You have to do it because it is the right thing to do. You have to do it also out of ethics. You have to do it also because, you know, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a community that you're missing out on, not strictly from a business perspective. But again, even if you want to kind of tell your, your, your board why you're investing whatever you are, give them that statistic, $8 trillion. Mm, drop the mic. <laughs> it's really the intersection of capitalism and accessibility and impact and thinking about not just a singular impact but rather an ongoing effort and like you mentioned a continuous investment and commitment because like you said it's eight trillion dollars a market that is not being tapped into nearly enough yeah. as it should be and the 1.3 billion potential employees that you're not tapping into right. too Right. That too. And some of these people, by the way, there are way too many studies that show that, you know, people with disabilities are, are, are known to be, um, uh, you know, they, they, uh, in terms of job retention, they have higher numbers in terms of, you know, absenteeism and stuff. It, it's actually very low. Um, so, you know, it's, it's like really talented, awesome people who do uh, amazing things. And by the way, who are, who are 
who are used to kind of figuring out innovative solutions to solving challenging problems. In the personal day-to-day -day life, what better problem solvers are you going to get, right? Um, now, again, I would want to like put a disclaimer here. Um, you need to not just hire people with disabilities because it is a person with a disability and you want to do that. No, hold them to the same standards as you would hold any person without a disability. If you are not, you're doing yourself a disservice and them. And that's only going to basically further the stereotypical image that we have around people with disabilities where they are doing function as well as people without disabilities. So don't do that. Hold over the standards, have the same requirements. You know, if you, if you require someone to have a master's, they should have a master's as well. If you, you know, your interview should be, you know, equally kind of um, rigorous for them as well as they are for anyone else. So you need to be aware of that as well. And, and the last thing that I would say is, uh, again, please start thinking about accessibility, usability, in, you know, from the very beginning of the product life cycle. Don't think of it as an, uh, it's, it shouldn't be an afterthought. Uh, because until you, you won't be able to do it. It's going to be, yeah, you know, some hack there and some hack here. You're trying to make things work. And then you go back to the whole legal compliance. No, don't do that. Think of the very beginning. How can I make it so that it's inclusive for everyone? And that's, how the, that's what the approach should be in my, in, in my mind. Yeah, I agree. I think it really should start from the root and should be, get, should be a priority because, like you said, it's still difficult to add that in later on. And it's just not the same if that happens as well. So actually kind of going back to mindset and you spoke a lot about how, yeah, those standards that we hold should be the same because like you said, if we don't, that's a disservice to ourselves and those, uh, and those people with disabilities. So what kind of change and reform did you witness, especially within now in the education system after your continued advocacy and activism and uh, simply throughout your years as a student? Yeah, I think, um, you know, some of the most satisfying experiences of my life have been, have been that, you know, I don't care as much about like, you know, some awards or this and that. I think the most satisfying really happened to be able to affect change at the national level in India, where initially, uh, you know, at these uh, premier tech schools, they would not allow people who are blind or visually impaired uh, to pursue engineering-based courses. And now we have nearly 10 graduates uh, from these top tech uh, schools are now doing really well and we're working at companies like Microsoft and Morgan Stanley and other companies. That to me is really, really satisfying um, uh, to be able to support them, to be able to advocate to make things easier for them, to be able to share my accessible resources because accessibility is not a thing in India uh, as far as science education goes, unfortunately, which is fortunately changing now. I'm, so I'm, I'm very optimistic, uh, but the reality is, as it stands right now, it is one of those things that uh, we need to make a lot of progress on. And uh, so kind of being able to see that is something that I think is, uh, is, is very powerful. And, and more importantly, I think it's also the mindset of uh, officials working at these various institutions, right? Right. They kind of understanding the value of providing support to students with disabilities and the administration realizing why they should be investing in supporting students with disabilities. It's not enough to, so in India, we have this 5% reservation of seats for people with disabilities, uh, you know, in the, in the college admissions process, but that, that doesn't do anything. People to your school and not support them, like, what good is that, right? And, and so, and so, um, and so to be able to um, to be able to kind of like make sure that you know they have the necessary support um, and resources available is something that is extremely powerful. For sure, and definitely the continued education and priority of access accessibility will hopefully only further that um, advancement. Yes, exactly. 
So you speak up as well about the importance of accessible innovation. And I think that's a very interesting term. Uh, could you comment more on what that means and also why it is so important? Yeah, um, you know, I think as I spoke before, as I said before, I think it's super important that uh, we realize that when we're developing anything, you know, whether that is uh, a phone or there's a particular application, uh, any innovation, uh, we need to think about like the different kind of future personas who might be using that. And we cannot exclude people with disabilities, just as how we cannot exclude other diversity groups as well, other minorities as well. Mm -hmm. you want tool to be accessible to everyone and which is where you think about accessible innovation you have to make sure that everything is inclusive everything is accessible and can be used in a variety of ways depending on the abilities of various people who might be using your product um, and so that is extremely extremely important uh, to keep in mind that you know we're thinking about all of the different ways uh, all the different modalities in which you know your tool or your innovation uh, can be can, can be used and, and designing for that you know, really thinking through all of that and making sure that you know, you're not excluding anyone. And, uh, you know, another thing to really think about it, this is not just like some extra work that you have to do, right? Um, oftentimes, the kinds of innovation that you see that come out of this are just inherently much more powerful. I'll give you an example. Um, so in the early, in the early, um, uh, you know, in, in, the, in the early 2000s, uh, there was a lot of thing around, like, well, how can we support, uh, you know, people who cannot, for example, Right, you know, people with dexterity issues or uh, even, for example, people who are blind. Uh, and that's kind of like how speech recognition came about. Do you know what that speech recognition gave, uh, gave way to as we know it today? Everything, right? Like <laughs> personal assistance, like right. you name it. Right. Like everything is powered by speech recognition. How would this technology have come had we not been thinking about people with disabilities in the early 2000s? Well, the time that it would have taken for us to get there would have been so much longer and you wouldn't be using Alexas and Cortanas and Series of the World or Google Assistant in the World. You're right. That's the beauty of it. When you think about everyone, when you think about different ways, when you think about facilitating access to innovation for everyone who perhaps might not have hands or who perhaps might not be able to see or who perhaps might not be able to hear, you're designing such a robust product that is so innovative. And that is what you get out of it later. True innovation, some cutting edge innovation that no one else would be doing. And so now, even if, again, coming to the business side of things, because that's what the companies understand, um, <laughs> uh, from a business perspective, think about what a competitive advantage that is to you. And so, yeah, you know, like that, that's kind of where I think about inclusive innovation, accessible innovation, and what, what that can lead to and why it's important to, uh, for innovation to be accessible. You know what? I never thought about that. I, when you mentioned uh, speak, uh, voice recognition, I, could, I just thought about speech to text, but really voice recognition really is part of so many things that we use in our daily lives. Yeah. I mean, smart homes wouldn't be a reality without it. Yeah. I actually just used Siri this morning. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> okay, so. I figured as much. Oh my goodness, Siri just answer me. My there you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, that scared well, me. That's now, that's now Siri, affir Siri affirming this, so great. <laughs> <laughs> so on the next page, we talk a lot about um, multilateralism and just the various implications of it. And I think even speaking about the different intersectionalities of accessibility and education kind of, kind of plays a part in this whole you know, greater and broader umbrella of multilateralism. But I wanted to ask you, you know, what does multilateralism mean to you, you know, in this area of accessibility and um, education and technology um, and disability? And what do you believe that we need more of in terms of 
you know, I know you spoke about companies needing to do more, but also what can we do um, at an individual level or even a nation level or a local mm. level? Mm. Yeah, when I think about multilateralism in this area, I, I really think of it at two levels, right? So, or in two ways, actually. Um, one of the ways is, um, is across sectors. Uh, when you think about accessibility, it is not the responsibility of only, for example, tech companies to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, as we spoke about it, it's about educational institutions, it's about civic bodies, it's about technology companies, it's about the governments, it's about, uh, you know, whatever sector you can think of, right? Uh, it's about like the hardware uh, uh, sector, it's about real estate, making sure that uh, homes are accessible or commercial establishments are accessible. Right. Uh, it's I mean, I can think of like every sector that, you know, you can think of, uh, I mean, it's important for them to think about accessibility. And so it's, you know, it's, it's going to take like effort from all of us across sectors to really make this world inclusive and accessible uh, for everyone. Uh, the second uh, way I look at multilateralism is, um, is uh, you know, in terms of, uh, I think it's in a more conventional way. Uh, not one country can do it. Not one international organization can do it. Not one organization, like a company, can do it. Everyone has to work together, civil society included, right? How do we make sure that all of us, in our own little ways, try to further this agenda? Um, you know, um, for example, I'll give you a very simple example. Uh, imagine, you know, uh, you kind of being on a on on some sort of a planned tour, and one of the persons needs to be uh, happens to be a person with a disability. Now, of course, that tour company might have certain responsibilities to try and make sure that, uh, you know, things are accessible. And sure, you know, they might have made the necessary arrangements where it's like, oh, yeah, you know, the rooms are wheelchair accessible or, uh, yeah, you know, we'll provide you some support, in, you know, to a blind person or to a deaf or hard of hearing person. But one thing that all of us forget is for a truly enjoyable, accessible experience, the people who are a part of that experience, who happen to be people without disabilities, also play an equally important role. Mm. What have you done to further accessibility? Have you, for example, uh, bothered enough to provide that person a verbal description of a beautiful landscape that you saw? Right. This kind of awareness. This kind of. And, and again, it's you know, it's it's again, you know, I want to. And and then and then also, it's not a one-way thing, right? How has the person with a disability enriched your experience, right? Because like, well, you don't have a responsibility, but you are in a society where all of us work together, as I said before, to make this a better experience for everyone. And so just as how they might enrich kind of your experience, you got to enrich their experience. And so it's, it's like, well, how are we working together to try and make this trip a better trip for everyone, including them and you? Hmm. And I think when we start thinking of that, um, you know, in, in that way, uh, that's kind of like when it will be pretty amazing. Uh, and, and, you know, my, and this, this, you know, many, many times when people ask me, okay, well, what is your, what is your goal? You know, what is your vision? And my vision is when we don't even have to talk about accessibility inclusion. We don't have to do podcasts yeah. like that. Uh, because that's, that's when, you know, you're going to really, uh, really, truly be inclusive. And it's a part of it. It'll be a part of it. You'll be like, well, well why do you have to think about it? Why do you have to talk about accessibility separately? I mean, you know, everything that we do already is accessible. Because right. that's your condition to think about it. Right. That is where I want the world to go. That is what I want to see. And that is kind of what my ultimate goal is that I'm working towards. And that is what I think all of us should hold ourselves accountable to as well. No, that's a, that's a beautiful and wonderful goal. And I think that is so telling of just our current times. And also, yeah, a, a great way to simply put the, the amount of progress that we need to see. And also, thankfully, that we have seen in the past, you know, couple yes. decades. Um, so because, you know, this is our knowledge rising series and we're talking specifically to young activists and also trying to inspire youth 
hopefully. Um, what would you say would be the particular or special role of youth in just this conversation and also in just this movement of furthering accessibility and you know, moving towards your vision? Yeah, um, I think youth can play such an important role. Uh, right. You know, one, one thing that is so crucial in, when you think about disability is that, hey, let's face it, um, people have had a very stereotypical um, attitude towards people with disabilities, a very stereotypical kind of image around people with disabilities. Mm -hmm. um, and what better generation than us as youth to kind of naturally bend down to or kind of like just take this stereotypical image and go with it. We like to question. We like to do things differently. And that is what the disability slash accessibility field needs today. People questioning why is it that a person who is blind or visually impaired has to necessarily become a musician or you know, some sort of a traditional kind of uh, vocational, um, uh, vocational profession. I was told that when I wanted to pursue engineering in India. That hey, why don't you just go into like basket weaving or music? Mm. And that is what the youth with their fresh kind of outlook towards things in life um, and the world and where they want to see the world, that is what we can challenge. It's challenging the status quo. What is, we, what is what we want in badly, by the way, in the sector today? Where we are, we, we want to give everyone an equal opportunity and we want to facilitate that. And so, and because we, our generation has had access to technology, we, we can leverage that. Right. Think more innovative ways in trying to make that happen. You know, uh, and, 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 the, and the beauty of this also, by the way, is that once we figure out something, thanks to technology, we can scale our impact in no time. Imagine thanks to the movements or the petitions on change.org. Can you imagine this would have been, have, have been possible without technology? Like the kind of, you know, transformational change that we are able to see today? No. And, and youth have had such an important role, right? And I'm really glad also that um, the way we're, we've been taught, right, and the way kind of we, most of us look at the world today is, is not like a typical, yeah, you know, I've got to like do this nine to five job, I'm happy in my own life, I don't worry about anyone else. Uh, I'm so excited to see like, you know, the driven uh, kind of approach that we're taking, not just working, but also by the way, investing and in everything else that we do, which is so powerful. And so I think given all of that and given like the different, you know, sort of uh, frame of mind that we have, I think that we should, we've got to leverage that. We need to, we need to kind of, uh, you know, um, be more aggressive at what we're doing. We need to like, you know, do, do much more uh, than, than what we are. Um, and, and that's the only way we can, you know, really achieve a better world, not just for people with disabilities, but for everyone. Yeah, for sure. I think definitely our generation is sick of just following the status quo. I think we really do challenge it and um, work to reform it and change it and be so proactive in whatever we're passionate about, whether it's disability rights or even the climate crisis or you name it. Yeah, uh, which is, I'm, I'm so excited about that. I, I, think, I think we've got this. You know, if we, if we kind of <laughs> do things the way we are and slightly more, well, yeah, we'll be good. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I agree. Um, so actually, I wanted to ask, are there any, therefore, any guides or resources that you could recommend if we'd like to learn more and become more effective supporters and advocates for accessibility in all its forms? Yeah, I think the, the first place to start is, uh, you know, if you just even Google it, for example, uh, just kind of familiarizing yourself with really what accessibility is. I mean, obviously, um, you know, we, we touched on accessibility at a very high level uh, as part of this podcast, but, uh, you know, 
depending on who you are, are you a developer? Go ahead and check uh, the basics of uh, developing uh, for an accessible audience or, or, or uh, you know, accessible development. Or data scientists, think about, well, how can I make, uh, you know, some of the visualization that I do in terms of charts and graphs for the data that I produce, how can I make that accessible? If you are an architect, think about uh, accessibility in terms of constructions, right? Um, if you are a doctor, think about, well, how can I make sure that, uh, you know, all the services that are provided and the prescriptions and everything, all of that is provided in accessible format. And if you're a part of a broader organization, advocate, you know, be, be the champion for accessibility. You say, hey, listen, I am not okay with, for example, this system not being accessible to my customers. I want the company to, uh, to, to be proactive in this. I want the company to take a stand for it because uh, that is what my values are. And, and, and convince your peers uh, to do that. And, you know, shortly enough, if there are enough people who kind of uh, tell the company that, well, that, that they feel very strongly about it, the company will have to do something about it. Um, and so really be like these champions. And of course, I invite you. Uh, this is, uh, again, um, sorry, but this is publicity here. <laughs> <laughs> Organization, uh, we love to. Um, I mean, one of the, one of the, one of my best things about the work that I do is is the community. You know of of both people with and without disabilities who work together to try and make things accessible. You know, there are so many opportunities out there, so many different ways in which people can work. And I invite you to come and uh, join us in this journey. Um, so um, hit, head on to uh, inclusivestem.org. That's I-N-C-L-U-S-I-V-E-S-T-E-M.org. Um, and I'd love to um, see you as part of our community and engage with you and see how we might be able to leverage your ex expertise um, to really build this a more inclusive world. Um, so we'd love, love to collaborate with many of you. Uh, but yeah, I mean, again, uh, you know, advertisement aside, <laughs> um, you know, really think about any local nonprofits around disability, accessibility, yeah. um, and uh, there's just so much that you can do. Um, so pick any opportunity that, that, you know, that works for you. Uh, and it doesn't even have to be like, you know, you spending 20 hours. No, I'm not asking for that. You kind of just sparing out maybe like 30 minutes per month, which is not a lot to ask. That, that all it really takes to make this world a more inclusive place for everyone. Yeah, that's, I think the, your last thing about even spending, dedicating a couple minutes or, you know, 30 minutes a month and that collectively accumulating is really a huge impact. Yep. Totally. Yeah. So just to conclude now our conversation, um, I know we've kind of already had some final thoughts, but is there anything else you want to share that you want the audience to remember from this conversation? Because it really, we really did talk about so much. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think if there's one thing that you should remember, it is that, um, you know, we need to co-create the world that we want to see. Mm. It's not, I don't even invite, I don't ask you to like work specifically to make this accessible for people with disabilities. We are in this together mm. as a team. Would you like it if one of your team members is not able to perform to their optimal potential just because they don't have the resources? I'm sure you won't. And so if you want to work with them, to work with everyone, to really have a transformational impact, I think it's important for you to provide them the resources that they need to be successful in co-creating this with you. And so think of it from that perspective and let's all work together, together to really have um, you know, a better world, uh, a, a, a better tomorrow, um, you know, a more equitable world for everyone. That is kind of what my final message would be. Okay, awesome. Thank you so much for joining us and for your time sharing about your experience and your amazing advocacy and your work. And also we look so we look forward to your continued work and advancement and advocacy in this area. Thank you so much, Kartik. Thank you. Pleasure being here. <laughs>